in just a couple minutes. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different tonight. Uh, obviously, we're talking about the neo-independent Baptist movement. We spent a lot of time talking about what, we, what it means to be a Baptist. Uh, then we moved into specifically what it means to be an independent Baptist. And now, last week, we kind of started into this, uh, this idea of the neo-independent Baptist movement and really just uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of churches, if you will, but even, even people, pastors, who want to change the independent Baptist movement from the inside. Um, we, in looking at what it means to be an independent Baptist, really looked at, at what it is from somebody outside looking in. Um, and what we're doing here is really taking a very uh, a hard introspective look. Um, and there's a lot within the independent Baptist movement that want to change it into something that it was never meant to be. And uh, something that's a very dangerous thing. So I'm going to do a lot of reading tonight, and that's why I say it's a little bit different. Mostly because I want to use the exact words of those who are leading this uh, neo-independent Baptist movement. I'm, I'm going to give you what they define as this new movement. And that's what they're trying to do, is, is, is uh, start a new movement. Um, and, and how they define it. And then next week, we're going to look at an answer to each one of these points. It's kind of, um, uh, I'm going off of one article in particular that was written by Josh Tice. I mentioned his name last week. He is one that is really, uh, he's not the only one by any stretch, but he's, he's one that's kind of headed up this idea of the neo-independent Baptist movement. And he wrote an article that listed out all the things that define the neo-independent Baptist movement. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to base it off of that article um, and give you a lot of what he said in that article uh, tonight. But then, then next week, we're going to look at each one of those individual points and talk about, uh, talk about it from, from our perspective and from a perspective of there is no need to change um, other than maybe some, some different philosophy type things or you know, practical type things maybe. Um, but as we get into this, uh, I think it's important for us to understand a couple things. Um, in, in any serious theological disagreement, and make no mistake that that's exactly what this is, it's a theological disagreement, uh, we have to keep several things in mind. The, the first one and the most important one is that we always have to make the Scripture the basis for anything that we say or do or stand on or anything else. Um, it's also helpful, I think, to make sure that we keep our emotions in check and to think and argue from an intellectual standpoint uh, um, rather than uh, from the intellect to the emotions to the will. And it has to be in that order. And, and hopefully you'll understand that as we go through it. But I think in addition to those two, I, I would also add that it's necessary to make sure we can tell the difference between friend and foe. Um, uh, Treating a man or a group as the enemy when, in fact, they're not, and vice versa, has done a lot of harm to the cause of Christ over the years. And I don't want to make that mistake as we go through here, but Jude tells us to earnestly contend for the faith, right? And that's something that we stand on a lot, earnestly contend for the faith. And I think that's, absolutely, that's very, very important that we do that. But as I understand the last two words of that phrase, the faith... It implies all the doctrines that are taught in the Word of God that we're supposed to believe. Now, primarily, um, if, if you were to kind of list some of those things out, well, let me ask you this. Let's, let's have a little bit of interaction tonight. What do you think some of the primary doctrines of the faith would be? Uh, maybe you could call them fundamentals of the faith. And again, there's those last two words, the faith. What do you think they would be? Give me, give me a couple ideas of some things that you think would be the fundamentals of the faith. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a fundamental of the faith. What else? Faith 
the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, then we, have, uh, we don't have a Savior. He was not perfect if he was not born of a virgin, because that means he came through the, the earthly line of Adam, and wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Jesus Christ could not have born of, been born of anything other than a virgin and still be sinless. That's another one. What else? Second coming of Jesus Christ. Yep. What's another one? Jackson. The, the deity of Christ. Yeah. What's another one? Yeah. Death, burial, and resurrection. Yep. Very good. Anything else? I already mentioned one of them just a little bit ago. Jackson. The inerrancy of the Bible, right? So a lot of those, you're, and you're hitting on a lot of different things. The, uh, the literal resurrection, the atoning death, the virgin birth, um, you know, the second coming, salvation by grace through faith. Those are the doctrines that are critically important to eternity. And between all of us, we hit all of them, right? Tom Brennan wrote a book. I think I mentioned it. Um, it's called Schizophrenic, and I think it's, it's an excellent, excellent book. He is He's an independent Baptist and has been since, since he was born, essentially, because his dad was an independent Baptist pastor. Now, obviously, he came to the conclusion, uh, a lot of these conclusions on his own, and God called him into the ministry, and he's been a pastor for quite some time himself. But he wrote a book called Schizophrenic that basically says, this is everything that's right with the independent Baptist movement. This is everything that's wrong. We don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need to change the things that are wrong and shore up the things that are right. And there's a whole lot more things that are right than that are wrong. But in that book, Schizophrenic, he kind of mentioned some of these um, fundamental doctrines. And then he said this, Beyond that, as an independent Baptist, I hold the other doctrines that I think the Bible clearly teaches and that are also important. But at the bare minimum, the man who holds these doctrines is my brother in Christ. We, share, we shall share heaven someday. He is not my enemy, though I may differ with him on a veritable plethora of other things. He is an orthodox Christian, not in a denominational sense, but in a doctrinal sense. So, to put it plainly, Josh Tice and these other guys, and, and, and really, I'm not, I'm not really using any other names. He's the main one uh, that is leading this independent Baptist, neo-independent Baptist movement. So, he's the de facto head, if you will. But Josh Tice and the movement that he represents are not the enemy. Um, and, and I want to make sure that that's clear. If Jesus tarries his coming, we're both going to die someday. And we're both going to stand before Christ, and we're both looking for, to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? Um, our, the, you know, everything about our lives, the tale of our lives, if you will, is not told yet, but it's reasonable to expect that, that he, along with us, will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Um, the, my, you know, the, the pastor across town, whoever that happens to be, that is, that is morphing his traditional independent Baptist church into something other than what we've always stood for, um, something that he thinks is new or that he thinks is better, is going to walk the same golden streets that we do. He's going to eat from the same uh, you know, tree with 12 fruits that we do. He's going you know, to kneel before the same throne of God that we do. So we have to understand that they're not the enemy. They're not the ones that we're fighting against. He, they are not the enemy. They're, they're our brethren. Uh, the devil is the enemy. And there's nothing that he would like to do more than, than completely separate uh, uh, Christians amongst each other because a divided force is not going to stand. Now, not only are these men not the enemy, I, I, I think there are some things that, 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 are, that there are too like about them. 
Um, you, you start, especially you get to know some of these guys, and I know some. I don't know Josh Tice personally. I've never met him. Only things that I've read that he's written um, and only things that I've read about that, you know, some of these other men that have participated in some of the things that he's done. Uh, and, I've, and I've read them. So I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of who he is, even though I've not met. But I know a lot of guys who are just like him and who really look up to him and really have that same kind of mindset. And on a personal level, most of these guys are, are relatable. They're not arrogant, you know. They're, and, and that's one of the things that kind of makes them um, influential. They're nice guys, you know. And, and they, they really have a genuine heart for people. And, and um, I think some of those kind of things are, are what makes them a little bit disarming. You know, man, how can they be that wrong? They're so nice, you know, and, and they are. A lot of them are that way. They're very friendly. They're very approachable. They're just as willing to listen as they are to speak. Uh, but, but I think uh, like, like a lot of younger men in the independent Baptist movement, they, they've seen the damage that's been wreaked on families by men of the previous generation who were more married to the church than they were to their wife and let their kids essentially grow up and, and live however they wanted to, didn't train their children. And, and, and the sad thing is, we've, this is not just 70s, 80s, 90s thing. This is something that you see that goes all the way back to the 40s and the 50s. And I mean, uh, you know, Billy Sunday, Billy Sunday's kids, and Billy Sunday was really well known. Billy Sunday's kids, I, I don't even know if they were saved. Um, others who, who were very well known evangelists and very well-known pastors throughout the, the you know, the, really the 20th century had kids who never grew up and lived for God because they were more married to the ministry than they were to their wife and more concerned about what happened in the church than they were about what happened with their family and forgot that their primary ministry is their family. But Josh Tice, I think, you know, leads in that. I can't find fault in the way that he handles uh, himself with his family, and, and, you know, I can't speak for how, how well he's rearing his family, if you will, but, um, you know, it seems like he and his wife get along well, they have a loving relationship, and, and that's not something that you can fault them for. Um, looking at it on the ministry side, I, I think there's a commitment to, to really to an accurate knowledge of history, and, and I think they're trying to do their best um, with some of these things that they have, and, and I think uh, at the end of the day, I do think that they have a passion for souls. Where they're, where they're off and where they're wrong is in the way that they go about it. And that's what we're going to talk about a lot of these different things. But, um, so if they're not the enemy and they have things to like about them, then why bring division where there ought to be unity? Right? There's a lot of people that would ask that question. Well, if, if, they're, if they're so nice and if they have a passion for souls and everything else, then why even bring this stuff up? Why even, why even cause a division where there should be a unity? And, and I think this is where we come to Galatians chapter 2. And as soon as I mention this, you're going to know where we're going with this. But Peter and Paul were brothers too, right? They shared the same heritage, the same doctrine, the same faith. They were co-laborers. They were serving God together with great ability, with great sincerity, with great devotion. But the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 12, but when Peter was come to Antioch, of course, Paul speaking here, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James... He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Were they brothers? Yes. Were they enemies? Absolutely not. They were working together for the cause of the gospel, and Paul had power. And I think in a lot of ways, Peter had power. Barnabas had power. But Paul felt it was necessary not to just disagree with Peter, but to actually do that forcefully. He withstood him to the face, the Bible says, and publicly. 
Essentially, what he's saying is, I said this to Peter before everybody because he needed to be rebuked publicly because of what he was doing. Why was that? Because there was a lot of other Jews that dissembled likewise with him. Even Barnabas was taken away in what Peter had done. And basically, if, if you didn't catch what, what Paul was saying is, you know, Peter had no problem eating, eating with the Gentiles the way that he was, you know, that he should because Jesus Christ came to save the Gentiles. Well, when James came, all of a sudden, Peter didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles anymore. He would only eat with the Jews, right? And Paul was saying, you're dead wrong in that. Now, is that a doctrinal issue? No, not necessarily. It's not a doctrinal issue at all. But the problem doesn't just lie in the disagreements that I may or may not have with somebody that's in another church or another pastor or what another brother in Christ does in his church. It's the influence that's spreading out from those churches and amongst those men and who they are influencing. And it's the next generation especially, but it's even those in their same generation that they're influencing as well. And so uh, it's, it, it's eventually going to take over. So the movement that Josh Tice is forming around himself and other like-minded men really holds the potential to carry a tremendous, really carry away a tremendous number of solid men in strong churches. And I, I think I should add that probably not even the, just the potential, that it's actually happening. They are carrying these men away. And we're seeing it happen amongst men that have been in the ministry for even, even for years, 20, 30 years, changing Bible versions and changing the way that they're doing everything in their churches to the point where they really don't even look like a Baptist church anymore, let alone an independent Baptist church. But in just a short time, we've really witnessed some very radical changes. And it's not just about where the neo-independent Baptist movement is at. It's where is this neo-independent Baptist movement going and who are they taking with them? Where is it heading? The number of God's people that are, that are going along with it. And that's why this is not some little disagreement that we can you know, sit down and, and discuss in private between two people. This is something that has very, very big implications. And the longer this movement goes on, the more we are seeing the impact that this movement is having. Because what happens is you have these churches. Let's just take a church, for example. Let's say this church has 300 people in it. And we're seeing this happen all over the place. I, I can think of right now five churches off the top of my head that are in this situation right now. They have 300 people in the church. The pastor starts to really jump in on these ideas of, you know what, we need to be more, we need to be less biblical truth and more, you know, pragmatic. The ends justifies the means. So some things that we may really, you know, it's a gray area on whether we should do it or not. Well, if it's going to get people in, then we'll do it. So they start changing everything. They, they relax all the services. And now, you know, now you have people up there leading in skinny jeans and a collared shirt, uh, untucked, right? And then, uh, and then next thing you know, there's a band up on the stage. And, and you know, there's, there's seven or eight people standing up there with microphones on the stage, and then, they, you know, then the, the standards of dress start to change. And then the next thing you know, they don't look any different than a, some non-denominational church, right? And then the Bible changes, and then everything else just follows right behind that. Okay, that church changed. But guess what? You have 300 people in that church. Now, you're strong ones who believe only in the King James and who are not following that contemporary crowd and everything else down that path are going to leave they're going to get others in who are uh, in, in strong churches who don't like the strong stand, who are going to end up going over to that church and joining and whatever else, and they probably will even grow. 
And that church that was 300 is now 350 or 400. But what happens is all the young people that are growing up in that church don't know about the stand that used to be. So where some people might say, well, that's a little farther than I'm willing to go with it. And this is, you know, that church is going in that direction, but this is not as far as we're going to go, but we're going to stay here. That, that next generation of kids is being so influenced by that and does not know the heritage of where they came from, and they're going to be full-blown contemporary churches if they grow up and even stay in church, but if they grow up and get called into the ministry, that's what they're going to start. It's not going to be anything close to an independent fundamental Baptist church. It's going to be a non-denominational neo-contemporary church at the beginning, and then who knows where it goes from there. And, and we haven't been far enough into this yet to see where it's all going to lead, but you can look at it and say, this is where it's going and this is the danger in it. So it's very, very important that we have this conversation. And it's a conversation that's not only worth having, but it must be had if we're going to save that next generation and, and, and be in the, in the direction that God wants us to go. Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Because the consequences of a departure from our traditional approach to church and ministry have to be examined. And they have to be weighed and to fail in this is to fail in our responsibility to each other, to the truth, to future generations, to the very God at whose feet we're all going to bow someday. God gave the same responsibility to the men of the tribe of Issachar in 2 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse number 32. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. Now, I'm not trying to set, up, set, us, set us up as some kind of spiritual authority, but we do have to be spiritual watchmen. And that involves paying attention to what's going on in the independent fundamental Baptist world and in these other churches and pointing out the errors in it. I just want to see our church, churches do well in the eyes of God. And in the lives of a desperately needy humanity, there's, there's no long-term good to be gained by heading down these, this now well-worn path of the contemporary movement. No good and a lot of grief. And I've seen that happen in just a very short time that this contemporary movement has been around. And I don't know if, I, I may, 20 years might even be too long, um, you know, but it's, it probably started back around that time. Um, but within the last 10 years, really, you've really seen a lot of these churches moving in that direction, and it's these solid independent Baptist churches who started weakening their stand, and now that generation who was growing up and almost grown during that time moved and started their own churches, and now they've taken that semi-strong stand and weakened it even more. And now they are the pastors of those churches who are weakening that stand even more to where the to, to the point where the generation that they're raising now is going to be so weak they won't even be able to stand, period, let alone be able to stand on the truths of the Word of God. So having said that, this is a quote. In, in fact, here's what I want you to do as we go through this tonight. I'm not going to take a lot of time tonight uh, after this, but we're going to go through all of these points next week and look at them from a biblical perspective. And, and you'll see where we're going with this once I start into it here in just a minute. But I want you to see if you can discern for yourself. And I told you that we're going to do, I'm going to do a decent amount of reading tonight, and I am, because I want you to hear it from them, from Josh Tice, um, and for, you know, as, as really the de facto leader of this neo-independent Baptist movement. But see if you can discern for yourself some things that are wrong with what this group is defining as their neo-independent Baptist group, all right? 
having said that, this is a quote from Josh Tice. He said this, I'm optimistic about the future of the independent Baptist movement. I'm excited when I meet the next generation of men who are currently inheriting pulpits from their accomplished predecessors. I thrill at every young church planter who shares amazing stories of God's grace in their local ministry. Young evangelists who refuse to engage in denominational politics inspire me. I'm encouraged by young missionaries who are decidedly not ethnocentric, preferring rather to contextualize the gospel ministry as taught by the Apostle Paul. These are the new independent Baptists, and they are, and here's the points that he lays out, and that's what we're going to go through. So the first thing is, he says that they are obsessed with the gospel. Um, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, he, 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 he quotes there, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth. This is, this is what he says. People do not change because they start coming to our church. People change because they have a supernatural interaction with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the power that transforms a person's destiny from hell to heaven. This is the power that brings life to the dead spirit. This is the power that slowly conforms an individual into the image of Christ. It is the preaching of the gospel that brings true change. This is why we bristle at preaching that minimizes God's work and maximizes man's effort. We understand that true change will only come to an individual's life as they, quote, grow in grace and in deeper understanding of Jesus, not when they are subjected to an artificial list of holiness based on personal preferences. Now, again, this is what I want you to try to do tonight. Okay? That's, that's the first point that, that he says they're obsessed with the gospel. And I'm not saying that every one of these is wrong or all wrong, at least. So what I want you to do is think about these things as I read through them uh, and as we list these points and see where you stand on those things. See what you can discern from those things. See what you think is right about those things and what you think is wrong about those things. All right, I'm asking you to, to, uh, to spiritually discern, if you will. Okay, and then I'm not going to tell you what you have to believe next week, but I'm going to give you some things that I see that are, that are right and some things, many things that are wrong with what he's talking about here. But the second thing then that he says this new independent Baptist movement, this neo-independent Baptist movement is, is committed to, the, to preaching the Bible. And he quotes 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And by the way, maybe I should point out that what he's saying in his definitions of these things is that this is what we are. Essentially, this is what the old independent Baptists are not. Okay, But he says this, we love expository preaching. We desire to expose what the Bible is actually saying we loathe the practice of twisting a scripture to fit a preconceived idea. Some of us expose the scripture th through sequentially preaching through entire books of the Bible, taking great care to understand each passage within its proper context. Others prefer a systematic approach that allows for a sermon series that comprehensively deals with a specific topic or doctrine. In both cases, the new independent Baptist takes great interest in being true to the original intent of the author. This is why we dismiss preachers who continually misappropriate the very word of God. At best, these men are naive. At worst, they are knowingly prostituting the word for personal profit. I want to say a lot, but I'm not going to for the sake of saving it for next week. But think about that. Think about, think about how he's saying that. I know we're going through it kind of quickly. But, but think about what they're talking about in speaking and talking about the word of God contextually and, um, you know, the, the idea of... Um, being true to the original intent of the author. Well, I'll tell you exactly what that does. It opens it up for you to take any version of the Bible that you want to take. Because now you're being true to the intent, not to the very words of God. The third thing that they say 
is that um, they are men of unity who despise hyper-separatism. Men of unity who despise hyper-separatism. They quote John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Sadly, he says, our movement has been identified by a misappropriation of one passage about separation while ignoring so many others about unity. These are the hyper-separatists. Not only do they separate from godly leaders outside of our denomination, they actively attack fellow independents. This has led our movement to divide into splinter camps of varying influence and size, as if that's not what they're doing with this whole movement. This has led our movement to divide into splinter camps of varying influence and size. Each group seems to demand complete adherence to not only fundamentals of theology, but also to complete agreement in secondary doctrinal issues. But they go even farther. They also want uniformity in personal convictions and preferential issues like worship style, service scheduling, building design, and pulpit attire. To question the status quo brings suspicion. To express disagreement brings swift separation. However, this is changing. The new independent Baptist is less enamored with uniformity and more dedicated to unity. The litmus test for fellowship has nothing to do with jeans versus ties, hymns versus CCM, or Sunday school versus small groups. We understand that the world is going to hell, and if we are going to reach them, it's going to take a wide range of doctrinally sound churches that are going to look extremely different from one another. It's not only acceptable, it is preferable. Think about that for a second. I'll give, it a, I'll give you a second to let it sink in about the things that he's talking about. He's minimizing everything that, that separates us from the world. It's exactly what that is. We'll talk about that more. The fourth thing he says defines the new independent Baptist movement or the neo-independent Baptist movement is that they are turned off by denominational politics. 1 Corinthians 1, 12 and 13, there are, more con there are contentions among you now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? That's the, that's the passage that he uses to talk about denominational politics. They're turned off by that. He says this, one of the great benefits of being independent Baptist was supposed to be the lack of denominational control. Sadly, our movement has not always been able to live up to this ideal. This is partly due to our proclivity toward the inane practice of second degree, third degree, and fourth degree separation. Fear is a terrible thing. Fear will lead a man to say what he doesn't believe in order to please a critic. Fear will cause a man to sacrifice transparency at the altar of influence. Fear will keep a man quiet when he ought to speak, but he'll call it discretion. Fear will keep a church planter tied to a denominationally approved method, though it produces few results. Instead, we choose to be men who are more concerned with freedom of expression and open dialogue than retaining influence and pleasing critics. Trust me. I understand the pressure. Simply by writing this post, I'm opening myself up to reprisals. But I have found that speaking the truth is rewarding, expressing your position is freeing, and saying what you really think is tremendously liberating. Transparency doesn't seem to limit influence. It seems to expand it. And in some ways, he's right on that. Um, there are a lot of people who do things the way that they do them because they're afraid of what somebody else is going to think about the way that they do it. Uh, he's right in that. Um, but we'll talk about a lot of that stuff next week. The fifth thing that they say is that they're dedicated to fiscal accountability. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 5, make full proof of thy ministry. At the recent Idea Day East, there, there were many great truths shared about life and ministry. And again, we'll talk about Idea Day later. One of the greatest quotes of the day was, 
If the pastoral staff is afraid of financial accountability, there is a problem. Far too many churches have been destroyed by a pastoral staff unwilling to adopt strict financial policies. Overspending, misappropriation of funds, and even outright theft have brought many churches down. I find great comfort in knowing that this trend is dying away in independent Baptist churches due to the humility of pastors and the hard work of deacons. If we are to lead in the coming century, then we ought to remove the temptation of financial corruption. The next one, he says, is that they're well-read. No pride should be taken in ignorance. We should primarily be well-read in the scriptures, for they contain what is needed for life and ministry. But we should also be well-read in history, science, literature, leadership, and pop culture. One of the things I love about the young independent Baptists in whom God is bringing me in contact is their readiness to grow. They're not in bondage to index liberum prohibitorum, as was instituted by the Roman Catholic Church. They read broadly, always being careful to filter new thoughts through the inspired word. This allows them to reach a broader swath of people within their cultural setting. It also allows them to challenge their presupposed point of view, points of view. Uh, again, um, you know, uh, I don't want to get into it tonight. Number seven, just getting started is what he says is something that defines the neo-independent Baptist movement. Acts chapter one and verse eight, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. He says, our generation is just getting started. The world stands before us in desperate need of Jesus Christ. We hold the solution to the world's problems and we are ready to give him away. We are willing to do anything it takes to please our Lord and advance his kingdom. We're just now arriving on the foreign field. We're just now launching our church plant. We're just now inheriting the established pulpit. We're just now beginning to see the possibilities for worldwide evangelism. The future is bright. The next 40 years belong to us. Will we be the generation that turns the nations back to Christ? I believe we can, for we are just getting started. Essentially, you see what he's saying here is that essentially all the work of, of all the independent Baptists and all the Baptist churches before him have, have done what? Essentially, we just took over and we're just getting started sharing the gospel. We're just getting started, you know, turning all these churches into what we are. Is what he's saying, you know. And uh, I, I want you to mull those things over this week and, and think about some of those things and we'll talk about them next week. But before we end tonight, um, he, wrote this, he wrote this article, and then he published I think he published it on a blog that he does. I think that's where I saw it originally. Um, but the, the list of responses to that article is just, I mean, it goes on for days and days and days. And I went down the rabbit hole so that other people don't have to and uh, read a bunch of those responses. And, and I, I'm not one that, I, I don't do a lot on Facebook, and I, I don't get into arguments with people on online. I, I just don't do it. There's a lot of things where I'm like, ah, I want to say this, but it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So I don't. Um, but I filter a lot of these things through my own, um, uh, through the word of God and these different responses and everything else. But here's one that I came across that I felt I needed to read for its clarity because um, we're going to break all these things down one at a time. And there's a lot that, that you probably don't know about these guys, and, and because maybe you don't, maybe you've never really looked into it before at all. Um, but but a lot of these, a lot of people have questioned Josh Tice. If you hate the things that the Independent Baptists stand for, then why are you still an Independent Baptist, or are you still an Independent Baptist? And in response to that, he wrote another whole article about that, and he basically said, "Yes, I'm still an Independent Baptist because even though I see that there's tons of problems in the Independent Baptist." 
movement or the independent Baptist churches, um, there's problems in all denominations. And if I'm just, basically if I changed and became anything else, I'd be jumping out of the frying pan into the fire, right? So, so I'm just going to stay an independent Baptist. But he's not. That's not what, and we talked about all these things. That's not what independent Baptists stand for. So you're not, you can claim to be an independent Baptist, and in some ways, I guess he kind of is, um, because there's nothing that, that, you know, is a set of rules to, to be or not to be an independent Baptist. But that's not what independent Baptists stand for, and they're moving so fast and so far away from that foundation this guy says it great. He says, I don't, I don't know who this guy is, but I loved his response. And this is what we'll end with. He said, there are many things that I've seen growing up that, I've, that I have a great dislike for, many of which has been mentioned. I've never seen or known any movement, Southern Baptist, SBC, Southern Baptist Church, non-denominational, emergent, etc., to be perfect. I've also come to recognize many things that I'm thankful for. You see, it was in the Independent Fundamental Baptist summer camps that I came to know the Lord as my Savior and sensed the moving of God in my life to surrender to be a preacher of the gospel. It was through the teachings of the Scripture by men of God that I learned biblical holiness and biblical separation. It was at the Independent Fundamental Baptist conferences where God stirred my heart to live for Him. I'm not one to go pick a fight. I believe in being truly independent, but not a recluse. I'm not in anybody's back pocket, and I'm nobody's boy but my dad's. Being an independent Baptist means something. If we were truly independent or we wanted unity, then why write an article that brings more division and starts a new camp? These types of articles do not reinforce our independence, but rather begins to lump people into camps. If you're truly an independent Baptist, then why are there so many Southern Baptist guys commenting on this blog? I really don't care what the Southern Baptist Church or the Neos do until they poke their nose where it doesn't belong. Why does your article reach into the hearts of the Southern Baptist Church, the non-denominational crowd, the neo-crowd? They want nothing to do with our crowd except when we send them the folks that were saved in our churches. They wanted nothing to do with us until an article is written by one who claims to be an independent Baptist that tickles their ear. The Lord does not build churches that look like a club and sounds like the rock concert from Saturday night. Those churches are built by men. Josh, if you're going a direction, Go. Why do you need to see a, why do you see a need in trying to influence a movement if you're so independent? Over the years, I've gotten tired of guys trying to be the next pope of the independent Baptists. Lead your church and let others lead theirs. Your article was as much about what new things you like as it was about the old things you don't like. If you don't like it, leave it and be what you are. But don't try to say you're an independent Baptist when you look like a Southern Baptist church, a non-denominational church, an emergent church. You'll walk like a Southern Baptist, non-denominational emergent church, sound like a Southern Baptist, non-denominational emergent church. I'm not interested in being like them or writing articles against them. I don't want them influencing this generation of young independent Baptists. So let me encourage you to go be what you are, but stay out of my pee patch. I think it was a great article. I mean, it was just a response, but, I, but that's exact. I mean, that's my, that's my thinking as I'm reading through this entire article. Why do you need to create a movement around yourself? If you're so independent and you can go do what you want to do, then go be independent and do what you want to do. Why do you need to create a movement around yourself, right? I'll tell you why. It's because they know that the direction they're going is not a good direction, and they're trying to justify it. And the more people you have that you can justify it to, the better you feel about yourself in the whole thing. So we're going to talk about all these different points. We're going to take them one by one and look at them from a biblical perspective and uh, see 
what the problems are with each one of these things, and then uh, it, it'll probably, it probably will actually take us another couple weeks on this, just because I'll, this is something that is very, very important, and I want us to make sure that we understand why we're not going in that same direction, and why we're, why we're uh, avoiding at all costs going in that same direction. It's very, very dangerous, and once you start down that road, you almost can't come back from it unless you have a hard break and you split a church and you lose a ton of people doing it. Um, and, and it's a very, very dangerous, dangerous path to start down. And that's why we're not even going to start down that path. But I think it's, it's important for us to understand that there are a lot of churches out there that are well down that path, some that are just turning down that path. It's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. And we need to understand why. So we'll stop there for tonight. And then we'll get back into this again next week. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that we do have the word of God. I pray, not for the sake of pride. I pray that it wouldn't be for the sake of pride. But for the sake of standing for the truth and for the sake of being different from this world, that you'd help us to take a stand on the truths of the word of God and that we wouldn't bend, we wouldn't bow to culture, we wouldn't bow to, to uh, the neo-independent Baptist crowd that wants every church to be something different than what it is. God, I pray that you'd help us to, to be exactly what you want us to be in this church, that we'd have a desire for holiness, that we'd have a desire to win souls, and that because of that, you'd be able to use us in the way that you want to. And that we wouldn't get on our own way and be a hindrance to the working of the Holy Spirit in this place. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.